life is like a hurricane. Here yeah, in yes, it is. Duckburg. Race cars, lasers, airplanes. It's a duck blur. It might solve a mystery. Rewrite history. This is the story of DuckTales. This is Toys R Us. All of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, all of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. All of my best friends are toys. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Hello, adventurers. Hello. And welcome back to the Toys R Us podcast. Your weekly excursion into our past to develop the history on something we all knew and loved. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me as always is my cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Hi, everybody. Brian. Yes. Today we are exploring the history of the clan of Donald Duck. Ah, yes. And all of their duck tales. And all of the various duck tales. That being said, are you ready to make like Scrooge McDuck and dive in? Hell yes. Perfect. Let's go. We start our story in the 1980s. Good time to be alive. Good time to be alive. Michael Eisner took over the Walt Disney Company in late 1984 with his big ass Frankenstein head. <laughs> That's true. Like literally looks like my man. My man looks like a chia pet. He does. Right. He does. He compared the studio with one of its most famous movies. Disney was a Sleeping Beauty having lain dormant, virtually suspended in time, for more than a decade. And Eisner, who came in from Paramount Pictures, by the way of ABC Television, was quick to show off his gumption, because he was coming in to take over what was, until that point, a family-run company. It's true. Including the years after founder Walt Disney passed away in 1966. So, like, because it went to his brother. Yeah. And then they're finally like... Like, all right, get out of here, Roy Disney. Yeah, Roy. We get it. You kind of look like Walt. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Get out. The studio was producing flop after flop at the box office, had no no consistent TV output, and relied heavily on the theme parks that were showing their age. Disney had, in short, fallen behind in in a new Hollywood order driven by 80s capitalist culture and strict new corporate regimes. Eisner, with his trademark energy, and ability to mint hits, had big plans to revive Disney, in part by using its past and legacy to fuel big expansions. But before we dive into his plans, we have to step back a bit. The lineage of DuckTales can be traced back to 1942's Four Color Number 9, and its 64-page story, um, Donald Duck Finds Pirate Gold. Hmm. It's not the first original Donald Duck comic, because that would be an Italian work called Polono... Pepperino, E. L. Mistero di Marte. Well then, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I just summoned the deadites. You really might have. Uh, uh, which is a bizarre, near surreal sci-fi story from 1937, which would be later translated as *The Secret of Mars*, and published in Donald Duck number 286, um, in 1994. Four Color Number 9 laid the groundwork for the kinds of stories that would be Donald's trademark in the comics and serve as the basis for DuckTales. It's our first glimpse of Donald and his nephews as globetrotting treasure hunters engaged in rollicking, pulpy adventures. 
The issue's importance is well recognized by collectors and can fetch thousands of dollars nowadays. That's a bank. Bank. Though a Gladstone publishing reprint can be found for much cheaper. <laughs> but nobody that collects wants the fucking reprint. No. You know? No, you want the real deal. Real or get the fuck out. Yep. Pirate Gold is also the first comic drawn by the Good Duck artist. For quite some time, the Disney comics were published without crediting the creative team. That's some shit. Yeah. The Cerny fans were eventually able to recognize where specific artists were working on the book. The Good Duck artist was known for his meticulous eye for detail, deft use of irony, and strong storytelling sensibility. Eventually, he would be outed when he got the credit he so sorely deserved and introduced to the world as Carl Barks. Barks' importance... That sounds like a total fake name. Carl Barks? Yeah, it's like a communist dog. Oh my god, Carl Carl Barks. Barks. That's fucking funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fucking Barksist beliefs. (laughs) Um, Barks' importance cannot be overstated, and DuckTales would not exist without him. Because he's responsible for refining the pattern laid down by Pirate Gold and expanding Donald's supporting cast, including a number of characters seen in DuckTales. Barks introduced most of what would be the show's rogue gallery, including the Beagle Boys and Terror of the Beagle Boys. Those assholes. Big time assholes. Fucking assholes. Uh, Flint Gom- or Flintheart Gongold. Oh, he's a dickhead too. Big time. And the second Rich's Duck, Uncle Scrooge number 15. And Magica Dispel in the Midas Touch, Uncle Scrooge number 36. Lost in the Andes, number 223. Fucking A. Um, which is probably the best example of kinds of stories that will go on to aspire DuckTales. It's true. It's quintessential uh, as a Donald Duck story and is widely regarded as Bark's finest work. It says Donald and his nephews off to South America in search of the chicken that lays square eggs. <laughs> Lost in the Andes is so beloved that it spawned two direct sequels and was the focus of the first volume of the complete Carl Barks Disney Library. And it was made into a movie about a Chilean soccer team that got stuck in the Andes <laughs> called Alive, where the- they had to eat each other. Jesus. You always go there. You like Degrassi. Yeah. You fucking go there. Yeah. Um, well, it's not my f- Well, I, it's, it's, I guess it's partially my fault that I have such a dark sensibility. It is. It is. You go there. Yeah. The hardcovers are by far the best way to read the classic Barks Duck stories, since Four Color Comics 223 alone sells for upwards of $300 on the direct market. And as a comic collector myself, I prefer, like, the collected editions, and I do prefer them in hardback, because I think they're much, much nicer to deal with. They are. Sure, you can thumb through them easier with, like, the hard, like, the paperback. Yeah. But I've got the entire uh, set. Of the DC event Blackest Night on oh, hardcover, nice. and it is fucking dope. <laughs> it's fucking dope. Sorry Fuck. about that. That was uh, yeah, I think that's Black- by Donald Duck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's also like less fragile. Oh yeah, you know, because you're coming yeah. through a comic, you're like, oh fuck, yeah, some weight to this because it's so fucking thin. Like I don't really like. If somebody tries to break into my house, they are completely and utterly fucked for, like, the array of heavy things I can lob at them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's fucking... Doink. Like... Big-ass collected editions, oh, hardbacks, fucking lightsaber hilts. 
got the master sword from fucking Legend of Zelda. <laughs> huh. He was murdered. Dude, I'll fucking brain you with a Batman statue. I don't give a fuck. That's funny, dude. Come to my house, your life is forfeit. <sighs> Alright there. Southern General. <laughs> I kill him. I kill them all. <laughs> In 1947, in the pages of Four Color Comics number 178, Bark sold a story called Christmas on Bear Mountain and introduced his most endearing creation, Uncle Scrooge. Ah. In his first appearance, Scrooge was a bit of an antagonist and a riff on the now-archaic stereotype of the miserly Scotsman, but Barks quickly fleshed him out into something bigger. Scrooge became Barks as Oliver Daddy Warbucks was to Harold Gray. And in a vision of an idealized capitalist. Warbucks was distant, vaguely threatening figure, and an aggressive Old Testament god. Yeah. A Marvel War deity whose gleaming pate er, was banished to limbo by the socialist politics of Roosevelt's New Deal. Whereas Scrooge was something softer and a little bit more naive. Yeah. Um, for Scrooge, the promise of riches is an incentive to do daring deeds. And his accumulated wealth is a safety net that lets him be even more daring. He's clever and honorable and driven by the pure spirit of competition. In his own words, he's tougher than the toughies and smarter than the smarties. <laughs> and he made his fortune square. He's the purest flesh and feather expression of the American dream. Um, Scrooge was incredibly popular and became something of a spotlight hog. Which is like... When you get those characters that you know yeah. are going to be the hit, yeah. like fucking Baby Yoda. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, come on. Like, um, they were so smart keeping that shit under wraps. Oh, yeah. Like, they did such a good job. Like, when I, first episode of Mandalorian, I did not see that coming. No. I'm like, it's going to be like a bucket of something. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, fuck. It's Baby Yoda. <laughs> Baby Yoda. You're like, oh my I'm like, God. holy fuck, this thing is adorable. Yeah. Um, Scrooge almost completely overshadowed Bark's other creations, like Donald's lucky cousin, Gladstone Gander, and even Donald himself. These would, this would reach its zenith in the original DuckTales cartoon, where Donald is almost completely written out, and Scrooge <laughs> is undeniably the star of the show. That's true. In 1952, Scrooge was given his own comic, appropriately titled Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge became the venue for most of Bark's longer and more ambitious works from that point forward. It makes a certain amount of sense, because Donald was created as a comedy character, and a part of the appeal of the adventure stories came from the fact that he was always, on some level, out of his element. (laughs) (laughs) You are out of your element, Donnie. (laughs) I mean, you know? Scrooge, on the other hand, was born into these sort of tales, and they will always be his home. In the 90s, Uncle Scrooge hosted what might be the greatest Duck comic ever published. The 12-part epic, The Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck. Life and Times were written and drawn by Don Rosa, one of the clearest successors to the good Duck artist mantle. Um, it's a loving tribute to Barks that sees Rosa mine years of stories for every reference Scrooge made to his past. Rosa then forges these references into one tale, a definitive biography of the richest duck in the world. It's Life and Times has been collected twice, once by Gemstone Publishing and once by Boom Studios. 
Sadly, neither version is currently in print. Ah, oh, man. However, Fantagraphics has started a Don Rosa library, giving Rosa's stories the same loving treatment as Barks. As far as new uh, periodical content goes, IDW Publishing is the current source of Disney's comic output. In 2015... Really? Yeah. Oh. I'm really surprised it's not Marvel Comics. I honestly am. Yeah. I think it's probably only a matter of time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They kind of got grandfathered in. Yeah, probably so. Um, in 2015, they revived both the Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge solo titles with Mickey Mouse and Walt Disney Comics and Stories. The content of the comics has consisted largely of translations of European, mostly Italian translations. European comics are more genre-diverse than their superhero-dominated uh, American counterparts, having escaped the mass die-off ushered in by the Comics Authority Code. Ugh. Yeah. Man, we I, have an episode about comics. I'm, I'm sure I have a pretty lengthy rant about the fucking comic code. You like that episode. <laughs> I might do that. Do it. Do it. Um, It's going to be a short one. It's going to be saying, fuck the comic code. <laughs> That's just the whole script. One <laughs> sentence. Uh, and as such, Disney Comics enjoyed a place of popularity there longer than they did in America. There are mountains of content that still haven't been published in the U.S. A particular note amongst the IDW offerings are the first 12 issues of Walt Disney's comics and stories. These comprise a single story, The Search for the Zodiac Stone. Which would be so much cooler if it was awesome. The Search for the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually bag him in the end. And it's fucking Pete. This <laughs> is always the scapegoat. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, I never thought you would get me. <laughs> it's always uh, Pete. Uh, yeah, and Goof Troop is a prequel to it before oh he gets God. busted. Yep. That's fucking funny, dude. Living his family life like fucking Dennis Rader. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we know entirely too much about this shit. I know, goddammit. Uh, the Zodiac Stone is a Donald and Mickey team-up, and is the longest single story in the Disney Duck and Mouse comic universe. Um, it's got... The Duckverse. The Duckverse. It's got ghosts, giant bugs, magic, and an, and an appearance by the Duck Avenger. Hell yeah! Yes. He's probably the most interesting about the IDW era of Disney comics. Because, I mean, who fucking doesn't love the Duck Avenger? Yeah, it's true. Uh, the Duck Avenger is, curr is the currently accepted English translation of Pampernick. And Pampernick is the long-standing Donald Duck alter ego that has up until recently existed exclusively in Italian comics. It started in the 1960s as a, as a parody of Diabolic, a classic Italian comic um no, Ita classic Italian comics character. Yeah, it was like a, like a super spy or some shit, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. The original Papernick hewed closer to the Diabolic stories they were parodying and mostly revenge-motivated heists. Over time, the <laughs> characters... the best. I mean, hell yeah, everybody loves a good revenge story. Hell yeah. Over, the time, over time, the character evolved into a superhero, and in the 90s, the character was the focus of a fairly long-running comic called Papernick, New Adventures of PKNA. It was an attempt to craft an ongoing superhero title in the mold of the classic Marvel comics. It developed a rich continuity and internal mythology as it was portrayed um, as it portrayed Donald's protracted struggle against the vast alien empire. Lousy aliens. Walt Disney Television Animation began production on DuckTales in 1986. 
intending to have it ready for a premiere in 1987. And its episodes ran within a 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. placement, at a time where more children would be watching television rather than the morning time slot. Which, is, makes which is smart, right? Yeah, hell yeah, dude. Parents didn't really take the TV over to like 7, 7.30. Yeah. So you have that hour and a half, two hours. That fucking Disney afternoon, bro. <sighs> bro. Holy fuck. Insane. Um, seeking to create a cartoon with high-quality animation in comparison with other 80s cartoons which had much lower budgets. The animation was handled by Wang Film Productions, <laughs> Cuckoo's Nest Studio, TMS Entertainment, and Burbank Films, having previously been used on two other Disney cartoons in 1985, The Wuzzles and Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears. Oh. Which is like... That's one of those things you don't think about. Pretty good pedigree, man. So you're like... Gummy bears. You're like, yes, yes. motherfucker. Yes, that like, guy just fucking sang all yes. of the fucking theme songs of like, like eighties and nineties. Like, they they all fucking slapped. Like every one of them was a banger. I'm like, god damn. It's like, dude, save some pussy for the rest of us. <laughs> some gummy pussy <laughs> bounces right back. Oh, which I'm sure that exists. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Right? No doubt. I mean, there's a gummy penis, so you yeah. know damn well there's oh a gummy god. fucking vagina. Dive in, I guess. <laughs> Taste the rainbow. <laughs> Although the Japanese provided them with more available artists for the cartoon, they also, this also increased production cost due to the currency exchange rates between the yen and the dollar. Though Disney intended to invest heavily in its DuckTales production, which planned to recuperate its money by having it syndicated via its syndication unit. Buena Vista Television, with a 2.5-3.5 syndicator slash station ad split because it was the first like disney cartoon to be syndicated yeah that's true um because that was that was the genesis of the disney afternoon that was oh, the OG. Yeah. yeah while this was a concept that worked well with live action tv reruns it had only been ever used um with an expensive cartoon series in the past that either recycled theatrical shorts from the decades past, or featured limited, low-budget animation, and thus had never been attempted with a high-quality animated series. With a heavy investment, it was considered a risky move. <laughs> Boy, did they hit a home run. Yeah, they really fucking did. The cartoon premiered worldwide between uh, the 18th and 20th of September 1987, the time and date varying between markets, Yeah, with a television movie... Uh, special entitled The Treasure of the Golden Suns. Yeah. Which was later split up into a five-part serial in future reruns. The first season aired between 87 and 88 and consisted of 50, 65 episodes. The magic number required um, for, for a show to have weekly syndication. Yeah. Five days a week for 13 weeks. Disney then commissioned three more seasons. The second season aired between 88 and 89 and consisted of two television specials entitled Time is Money and Super DuckTales, with future reruns splitting them into two five-part serials. The third season, which aired between 1989 and 1990, consisted of 18 episodes, with it forming an hour-long syndicated block alongside Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Fucking A. And the fourth season, which aired in late... 1990 consisted of seven episodes, including three honored episodes meant for previous seasons, which was used to form a two-hour-long syndicated block called the Disney Afternoon, consisting of DuckTales and three other half-hour cartoons. The cartoon continued running with the Disney Afternoon until 1992, 
Following its departure from the Disney Afternoon, DuckTales aired um, in reruns on the Disney Channel from 92 to 2000. In October 1995, it aired as part of a new two-hour program called Black Party. It aired on a weekday late afternoons, with it returning to syndication between 97 and 99. Reruns were later shown on Toon Disney between 1999 and 2004. Fuck yeah. Which is like, fuck dude. 17 years, basically. Yeah. With 17 insane. years of DuckTales, baby. The show proved to be an immense success for Disney, who decided to commission other cartoons with a similar level of quality, which included Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Fuck and yeah. Tailspin. In addition, DuckTales also spawned its own feature-length movie entitled DuckTales the Movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, which was released to theaters on August 3rd, 1990. Which I thought was awesome because it was like the basis of the freaking theme song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Along with a franchise of merchandising including toys, comic books, and video games, and a spin-off series, and eventually a revival in 2017 that rebooted the series. Dude, how baller was the fucking DuckTales Nest game? Dude, fuck yes, and that we'll, game is so good. And we'll get to that, because, my lord. Um, this, the theme song was written by Mark Mueller, an AS... CAP award-winning pop music songwriter who also wrote the same song to Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Fuck yeah. He was paid a little over $1,000 to write the tune. Dude, that's a bargain on Disney's. Yeah. Because, like, dude, everybody knows the fucking DuckTales thing. Yeah, everybody. Everybody. Dude. As soon as you hear that fucking thing, you either think it's DuckTales or Hall Notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Does she make my dreams come true or DuckTales? <laughs> You Life make my dreams come Episode musical scores and background cues were written by at least four musicians. The primary and most known composer was Ron Jones, who wrote and constructed orchestral themes for the program. In contrast to how the other composers were creating a patronizing... Wait, Ron Jones, like the, the fucking noted television... Like, yeah, Ron Jones. Fuck me, dude. Yeah. Um... In contrast to how the other composers composers were creating a patronizing and cute score for the show, John says he composed or John says he composed the music with regard to the audience and its intelligence. I would not play the score like a kid's show at all. If they went on an adventure, I would play it serious like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. John's yeah. score for DuckTales has been praised by fans of the show. Three other musicians worked on creating um, incidental music cues for DuckTales. One musician, Stephen Rucker, also was in charge of conducting and composing tracks. The two other musicians, Steve Zuckerman and Thomas Chase Jones, composed only synthetic cues for the shows and generally kept the tone lighter, as opposed to Jones and Rucker. In total, there were approximately 85 incidental music cues composed with DuckTales, and a track was played on different occasions on an episode appropriate with the current ongoing uh, situation. Uh, as of 2019, there has never been an official release of any of the background music on DuckTales. Which That's is dumb, lame. You know, like, even if you just produced it digitally, someone yeah. would fucking buy it. The DuckTales theme song was sung by Jeff Piscato. There are four different versions of the theme song. The original version, serving as the show's opening, contained one verse, chorus, bridge, and then a chorus. A shorter version of the opening th- uh, song was used in the Disney, After- Disney Afternoon lineup with the line, every day they're out there making ducktails, taken out. 
Um, a full-length version of the theme song was released on the Disney Afternoon soundtrack, the third volume, which was released in a set with the other two volumes, in the music of Disney, a legacy and song, along with the Tailspin theme in, uh, in the November 2013 release of the Disney Classics Collection. Also, it is heard in the end credits of DuckTales Remastered and is also released on its own official soundtrack. The full version contains a second verse and includes a guitar solo, which is performed with a wah-wah pedal to make it sound like a duck. Baller. <laughs> which is smart. It also has a fade-out ending, unlike the original version. There is also a rare extended version that was used in the read-along cassettes in 1987. It has a sequence order of verse-chorus-bridge-chorus-instrumental-break-chorus. Which, you know. Fuck you, dude. According to an interview conducted with Jeff Priscato. Uh, in 2009, he was originally approached by Mark Mueller to cut a demo version of the theme song for Disney's approval. Although they were impressed with his demo, Disney had decided to hire a pop group, the Jets, to perform the theme song for broadcast. However, after recording a version with the group, Disney felt the theme song needed a different vocal style instead, and commissioned Piscato to perform the tune. After performing on DuckTales, he would later be asked to sing for Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, um, and then just for Disney Afternoon itself. Fuck yes. The Jets, meanwhile, later performed a full-length version of the Rescue Rangers theme song in a music video aired on the Disney Channel in 1989. I think I must have missed that because that sounds baller. Right? Uh, in February 2015, Disney XD announced a reboot of the original DuckTales TV series and pre- premiered on August 11, 2017, and had two seasons so far. I still haven't watched it, but, you know, they got the best actor in the world for fucking Scourge McDuck. Who was it? David Tennant. Oh, yeah. 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 Finally gets to use his fucking natural <laughs> Scottish accent. In May 2015, Terry McGovern, the original voice of Launchpad McQuack, stated on Facebook that the entire voice cast was replaced. Stating he felt heartsick at the news. <laughs> huh, like, understandable. Yeah. So you fuck up. That's how they. That's how they fucked up Powerpuff Girls. Yeah. Right. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Um, a Ducktales video game was developed by Capcom and released for the NES and Game Boy in 1989. A sequel to the game Ducktales 2 was released for the NES and Game Boy in 1993. And a Disney DuckTales handheld LCD game from Tiger Electronics was also released in 1990. Um, a DuckTales mobile game was developed by Artifact Games and published by Disney Mobile and released for mobile phones on 2011, only in Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> of all places. <laughs> like, what? That makes me want to find the DuckTales theme in Russian. Oh, God. A different platform game, DuckTales The Quest for Gold, was released by Incredible Technologies for Computers in 1990. DuckTales Remastered, which was an HD remake of Capcom's original game, um, was released by Disney Interactive for PlayStation Network, Nintendo eShop, and Steam on August 13, 2013. It was also released on September 11, 2013 for, August, er, for Xbox Live Arcade. A retail copy for PlayStation 3 was released on August 20th, 2013, with a code to download the game and a DuckTales collector pin. Baller. Just cool. Gotta love those pins, man. Hell yes. Uh, Various DuckTales items also appeared in the toy box of the Disney Infinity franchise. Oh, yeah. Which, I don't know, man. 
should have taken off. It really should have. Like, some of those figures are really great. Really I've got quite awesome. a few of them. Yeah, because you're buying them dirt-ass cheap yeah, now. Yeah, dude. You get them for, like, two for five bucks, dude. Yeah. Um, Scrooge McDuck and Launchpad McQuack also appeared in the Disney Emoji Blitz game in 2017. Hmm. On August 29, 2007, Genstone released a trade paperback for Scrooge's Quest, and October 17, 2008, it was followed by The Gold Odyssey. Together, they collect the majority of the Disney comics run. You know who also deserves a comic? I bet he'd make a really good star in a comic. He'd really do it, right? He totally would. It's Facty. Facty. Alan Young played Scrooge McDuck, passed away on May 19th, 2016, at the age of 96. Aww. In the comics, it is said that Scrooge McDuck himself is said to live for only a century and no more. Oh, damn. So. <laughs> Not a day over a hundred. Almost to a T. The original game, produced by Capcom, sold 1.67 1.67 million copies, making it the most popular NES game ever produced by Capcom, topping even in the entire Mega Man series. Fucking hell. Yeah. That is wild. DuckTales was the first American cartoon to be broadcast in Russia after the fall of the Soviet Union. And you know what? What a good one to start with. Right? I mean, that's... Oh, damn. Yeah. All right. This is what we were missing out on? Um, Carl Barks comics didn't just provide the basis for DuckTales. They're also responsible for some other classic franchises that you've probably heard of. For example, our fucking buddy, uh, you know, George Lucas. Oh, Georgie. Uh, wrote the foreword for Celestial Arts Carl... Carl Barks compilation, Walt Disney's Uncle Scrooge McDuck, His Life and Times, and says that Barks' duck comics are some of his favorite stories of all time. God damn, that's high praise, man. In the opening, Lucas lauds Barks' vast imagination and his unique and special um, and bizarre ideas. <laughs> and no mention of poetry? <laughs> no poetry. <laughs> uh, and heaps praise on Barks' straightforward but emotionally deep stories, which he says are full of Ingenuity, integrity, determination, and a kind of benign avarice, boldness, a love of adventure, and a sense of humor. It's not wrong. Not at all. Basically, like, Scrooge McDuck is just fucking Han Solo. Yeah, like an old Han Solo. <laughs> That's funny, dude. Um, Donald Duck's sister and the boy's mother is revealed to be named Dumbella. <laughs> That's terrible. Right? Oh, man. What the fuck? Dumbbella. You know you hate your child when. Yeah, no kidding. And so we come to the end of another tale. A duck tale. Woo! Woo! Just fucking remake, uh, like, that song Black Horse in a Cherry Tree. <laughs> and put all the <laughs> duck tales woos in there. <laughs> Big Black Horse in a Cherry Tree. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Uh, Christ. That's the post-credits. <laughs> yep. Um, 
if you like what you heard and you learned and you'd like to continue hearing and also learning, not that we're going to stab your fucking ears out. No. You can keep hearing, I guess. But if you'd like to hear us more, yeah. you can do the following. You could follow us on all social medias. We're at Toys R Us Podcast across the board. You can leave us a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. But specifically, Stitcher and uh, Apple Podcasts help yeah, the most. Those are the biggies. It's going to help us have gold pit to dive into. You That's know? true. That's what we're looking for. Uh, what will also help is if you become a patron at patreon.com slash Toys R Us podcast. Until next time, it's probably not really a good idea to dump or to jump into a uh, pile of gold because you're going to break your fucking neck. Like uh, Busta Rhymes once <laughs> said, you know? Uh, and remember, you will always be a Toys R Us kid. I'd like to take the time out to thank our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. So, thank you to Jeremy, Jessica, Nicole, Amy, Nicole, Nicole, Juanita, Sabrina, Shannon, and Steven. Thanks a bunch, guys.